Episode 51, Sunday, October 21st, 2012. It's that time again. XJ Talk Show is on the air. Uh, Okay, so it's a podcast, but you know what I mean. Anyway, here's Tony. Thanks, guys. I'm glad you're joining us every week. And uh, if this is your first time to listen to the XJ Talk Show podcast, we want to welcome you. Hope you're a member of XJTalk.com. It is the premier website for Jeep Cherokees. That means XJ, as in not the grand. And again, no offense to our grand brethren. But it's not about the grands. We do have a grand section. (laughs) In this episode, we're going to have an interview with Ben of Bushwhacker. You know him, you love him. Uh, you want them for your Jeep, but sometimes you just can't justify the cost. Well, Ben is uh, going to tell us about the Bushwhacker uh, flares for the Jeep and the interest uh, that he has been hearing for the uh, the Jeep Cherokees specifically. And uh, we'll get to that interview right after we get another uh, electrical and audio tip segment from Josh. And this time it's going to be about relays. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, And hell, even if you're not, stick around and listen. We'll get going here in just a second. So I don't know if it was the last episode or the one before that, we talked about the statistics for the uh, xjtalk.com site. I thought it was kind of interesting. And, you know, I was kind of thinking maybe it's just some uh, minutiae that I I really only care about. Uh, (laughs) But uh, there seemed to be a few people that were pretty impressed with it. So I figured I'd read some, uh, some stats real quick here for you. If you get the the monthly newsletter, and that would be everybody that is a XJ Talk member. I'm sorry, not a monthly newsletter. It is a, a bi-monthly. Um, is that right? Bi-monthly? It's uh, every two weeks. Uh, we send out a on the 15th and the 31st or the 15th and the 1st, depending on how you look at it. And uh, it basically gives you an idea of what's going on with the site, uh, what uh you know, what are the, the most popular posts during that time? In case you haven't been around for a couple of weeks, you can see what you missed and, and perhaps get your ass over to xjtalk.com and uh, get in there and read and learn and have fun and, and hopefully uh, join in the conversation and uh, be an active member. Um, it's, it's a lot more entertaining for all of us uh, when the more people that we have involved in the process and uh, we want you involved. So uh, anyway, the getting back to the stats, uh, this is for the time period uh, between October 1st and October the 18th because I was a little slow getting the report out this this time. 
in that time between the 1st and the 18th, we had 65 new members, 174 new threads, 1,699 new posts, and uh, zero new polls. So, I don't know. I I guess the polls are okay. It's kind of fun to vote on things from, from time to time, but uh, no polls this, this time period. But 65 new members. Wow. That's, uh, that's great. And um, I want to thank everybody that uh, takes the time to go over to the uh, new member introduction area and uh, post your welcome. Uh, that means a lot to people. you got to keep in mind, you guys are probably getting used to xjtalk.com and its friendly atmosphere, uh, but that's not the way all the forums are. So whenever you take the time to welcome a new member, it means a lot to people. Uh, they're not used to that. They're used to being ignored. Um, that might be a bit hor- a bit ha- uh, harsh, but I think that's I think that's really true. Uh, certainly, I don't think. Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't go to a lot of the other websites, but I don't think that they have a a new member welcome area, uh, or what uh, what is also called a forum, so that people can post uh, who they are and hello to the group, uh, and uh, don't have the automatic welcome like we have. So uh, anyway, like I said, thank you very much. If you take the time to to welcome people to the site, it uh, I think it makes a big difference when you do that because it's basically telling people that you're glad they're here and encouraging them to post. You got to keep in mind, though, that if, if they've been on other forums, uh, they could be very timid about posting because they're not ready to be flamed. <laughs> not without a good stiff drink, I guess. So, uh, but uh, fortunately that doesn't happen on uh, xjtalk.com, at least not, uh, not very often. And uh, we always uh, take uh, soft corrective action uh, on the rare occasions that it does happen. So uh, that's about it for my intro. I'm going to go ahead and, uh, oh, I will, I will mention that uh, the, uh, the 4.0 rebuild, I've been keeping you guys uh, up to date with what's going on with that. The uh, I was able to drive the the Jeep, uh, the '98 Jeep Cherokee back and forth to work uh, all last week, and not see a temperature above 224 degrees, and it would rapidly uh, drop uh, as I would come to a stop and sit there for a few minutes, and uh, then uh, when I would uh, accelerate away from the light, it would uh, drop almost uh, the two or three degrees instantly. Uh, I guess because the um, the uh, water pump was moving the, uh, the water through the radiator and, uh, into the, the engine. So, uh, I did not have to, I didn't really have to worry about the temperature. Now I am running the electric fan, uh, bypass on all the time. And, uh, it, gosh, it takes about 10 miles, eight to 10 miles before it gets up to 210. And then it'll go to 212, 213. And, um, uh, maybe get up to 219, 220. Most of the time, it hasn't been getting above that. Now, the air temperatures have been uh, lower in the past couple of weeks than what they were prior to that. So I'm not uh, going to celebrate any victories. And I do have a, a three electric fan and shroud set up coming from Dirtbound Off-Road, a uh, xjtalk.com vendor. And I'm going to be installing that. Hopefully that'll be in this week and uh, I'll get that installed. And I don't, 
I don't think that that's going to solve the overall problem, but I'm trying to move enough air across the entire surface of the, the aluminum radiator, the two row aluminum radiator to, to cool it. Uh, I'm still seeing it warm up whenever I do a sustained 50, 60 miles an hour. So I don't think the, the electric fans are going to solve that, but anything I can do to, to bring the temperature down, uh, when I'm not going, I'm going to, I'm going to try. And besides I've, I've been wanting to do the electric fan set up for a while. So this shouldn't do anything to hurt the situation. Uh, and it may help it, uh, somewhat, at least in the way that I drive home, which is uh, stop and go. I don't get on the highway. Now, I'm still working towards the goal of having it run at uh, a normal temperature, no matter if I'm uh, stop and go traffic or uh, if I'm off road or if I'm on the highway. The The highway apparently is going to be more of a challenge. And uh, I'm now going back to looking at a air dam because it may be that um, I'm not, that the air is flowing under the Jeep instead of through the radiator, but we'll see. I will solve this problem. At least now I know it's not a leaky head gasket because, uh, new engine. Anyway, we're going to get to, uh, our interview with Ben at Bushwhacker, but first the electrical and audio segment with Josh and, uh, his interview with, uh, Steve 4.3 LXJ. They're going to talk about relays. This segment brought to you by DetoursUSA.com. Ten years of innovating, not imitating XJ products. Check out www.DetoursUSA.com. And Detours wants to remind everyone to practice safe sex. No pig borking till you wrap that rascal. This is Brandy Chair from Every Inch Counts, and you're listening to the XJ Talk Show. XJTalk.com. XJTalk.com. It's where you go when you're not off-road. Electrical and audio tips. Well, hey guys, in this week's electrical and audio tips, I'm here with Steve 4.3 LXJ, uh, and we're going to be talking about the infamous relay, the 12 volt automotive relay. First, how you doing, Steve? I'm doing fine. Yeah, awesome. we're going to talk about the black box tonight. Yeah, <laughs> the little black box. That's right. <laughs> Well, um, what what is a relay? Uh, for those who don't know, what can you uh, can you tell us what a relay is? Well, relay is really, in simplistic terms, nothing more than a switch. Um, it doesn't do anything that the light switch on your wall doesn't do, except that instead of flipping it, you use electricity to turn it on, and so it goes on, it goes off when you want it to at the flip of the switch, and. Uh, uh, it's about as simple as you can make it. Now, there's uh, there's different kinds of relays, aren't there? Yeah, there's all kinds of relays, and they come in different configurations. But the ones that you normally get across the counter at an auto parts store, the little black boxes are um, they, they've got uh, what? They've got five prongs on them, and uh, you just hook your wires to them, and uh, they will turn stuff on. It for you and and turn it off, and then there's the other thing that we all know and love and we're very familiar with, but we never really even think about it, and that's our starter relay that's on the uh, fender just behind the battery, and uh, it doesn't look quite like the little one cubic inch uh, black box that you get at the auto parts store, but 
it's really nothing more than a relay that has an extra post on it for uh, uh, a heavy-duty cable of some kind from your battery. And uh, we use that to run another relay that's very heavy-duty, and that's the starter solenoid, we call it. But that's nothing more than another kind of relay. And it takes a lot of power to run that solenoid, and so we use a relay then to run a relay. And the interesting thing is, is that as automotive designs have gone increasingly towards electronic engine management and ignitions and so forth, um, there's a lot of power going through an ignition switch, and the days are gone where you can actually run enough power through an ignition switch to run a starter solenoid. So now we run just a little bit of power to work a starter relay, which in turn works the solenoid, which is another relay, which, I don't know, I think they take about 50 amps or something like that to actually turn them over. It's quite a lot of power. Yeah, everything nowadays in the in the the new new vehicles are all drive by wire. Everything is controlled by you know you have a complete disconnection from you know the the days of old where everything was hooked up with wires and cables and whatnot. And now it's all computerized and, and electronically controlled and stuff. I'm sure relays play a play a large part of that. So how do how do relays work exactly? I mean, uh, we we know they're they're a switch of some kind, and and there's different kinds of relays. We talked about you know, and you know solenoids obviously being the you know the big granddaddies of them all. But you know the typical you know um, uh, relays that we'd see if we kind of poked our head up underneath the dash of any given vehicle, and we see those little black boxes that we uh, that we'd get at the auto parts store. How how do those work exactly? Well, um, you remember. Anybody remember uh, what a set of points looks like in the old school uh, uh, distributors? Oh, I've, uh, I've uh, had a part of a few distributors in my day, that's for sure. <laughs> well, so I. I grew up with those distributors, and, and we were always adjusting points. But uh, uh, basically, there's a set of those points in there. And, uh, in fact, there's two of them in most of the relays you get at the uh, auto parts store. One is in contact all the time and we call that normally closed if you're looking for the terminology. And then the normally open side is the one where it switches to to turn something on. And uh, to operate that is something that uh, I played with as a child, and that's an electric magnet. Um, and we see electric magnets in things like uh, our automatic door locks, for instance. Um, those are another type of electric magnet. You put the juice to it, and, it, and a rod goes through it, powered by uh, magnetism. And when it does, it pushes those two points together and allows the current then to flow through that to whatever application we have in mind. So uh, it's, it's just... Yeah, kind of like the old trick, uh, you know, back in science class back in the day where you, where you wrap a wire around a nail and you attach the two ends of the wire to a battery, and all of a sudden, boom, you can pick up uh, paper clips and staples off the desk. Oh, yeah, yeah, and uh, that that principle is uh, found throughout your uh, Jeep in the form of an alternator, and uh, it's in the uh, starter solenoid, um, the door locks, uh, any electric motor, your fan motors, any of that stuff all have that principle in them of an electric magnet. And, and so we use a very simple form of the electric magnet, to uh, make the relays do the switching. And it doesn't and take much power to advantage. 
So when you apply juice to, to a certain post on these uh, relays, then it energizes that electromagnet, which then in turn basically pulls that switch from the normally closed position to the normally open position. Right. And then you can turn something on with it. It's that simple. And as soon as you cut the power, there's a little spring in it, and it returns to its normal position. And that's how it stays in that normally closed state. Yeah, there's just a little spring inside. Yeah, and the uh, the most typical relay, from my understanding, that's in you know automotive use and that that most of us would use for any sort of auxiliary application would be the single pole double throw relay (SPDT) relay. And the the single pole is is uh, basically the common. That's your that's your feed, and and the double throw is you've got that on and off, and you're able to to throw basically throw that switch two different ways. And that's the that's those are the, the the five poles that you see on the on the back of those relays. I think what we're going to do is is in the electrical and audio tips thread, we're going to go ahead and post up some pictures of some relays. And and uh, and uh, Steve, did you you got a picture of what the inside of one of these things looks like? No, I don't. Uh, I'm I'm somewhat remiss. I had a relay that I burned up, and I was going to cut it, cut the box off of it, and and show that. And I didn't get that done today, but that's all I list of things to do. So. By the time uh, anyone is reading or you know listening to this podcast, I'm hoping to have some posts up, and I would make a suggestion to anyone who is not familiar with relays that uh, you, uh, if you have a chance, if you're not driving somewhere or can't get to a computer or something, that you go to your computer and uh, I will uh, post up something uh, real simple called relays, and uh, I'll explain a lot of this stuff so that you can have a visual aid while you're looking here. Otherwise, it's going to be kind of muddy for you, I think, uh, if you yeah, don't. Yeah, the, the whole topic of relays can get pretty tricky because I know that, um, that you know, the applications for relays is rather extensive. But uh, if you can just briefly, you know, touch on uh, why would we why do we use a relay? I mean, we understand, you know, what they are and how they work. Why would we want to use them? I mean, what, what purpose do they serve other than, you know, flipping a switch? Okay, well... Uh, the the idea behind a relay is that it will allow you to run a high power application with very little electricity from a switch. And the reason you want to do that, like I said before, is say you you're you've got an ignition switch, you turn the key on. There's those switches are only built to run about 40 amps or so, and you know to avoid running a switch that is just huge there in the steering column or underneath it, where, wherever the uh, switch is on your Jeep, um, all you do is you run a little bit of power to a relay, and that handles the heavy load. And, for instance, uh, if you want to run a set of uh, off-road lights, uh, let's say you have uh, four 55 waters, uh, you're not going to run that off of a regular switch. It draws too much power. Yeah, you'd yeah. burn that switch up uh, with just a uh, moderate amount of use, wouldn't you? Well, you'd burn it up in just a few minutes because uh, uh, you're you're looking at uh, about 20 amps there. And if you buy a, a good carling switch, for instance, and uh, it's the kind of switch that comes stock on a, uh, a Jeep, they're only good for about 10 amps. And so if you doubled the capacity of it, it's going to burn it up. So... What you do is you run a little bit of power through that switch to operate a relay that's designed to take that much power. And uh, 
20 amp load and you don't burn anything up. I'm glad you mentioned load because, you know, kind of put this in perspective for, for some of the other people out there. I mean, you know, things like a, you know, a dome light or a horn or a cigarette lighter, you know, those only use about maybe five, seven and a half, ten 10 amps at most, you know, things like headlights and, and heater circuits and, and things like that. Those use a lot more amperage. We're talking about 15, 20 amps, um, you know, or, or more in some cases. And you get into things like auxiliary lighting for off-road use, like, you know, some of those big, you know, 5,500 water uh, lights and stuff. They start sucking a lot of juice really fast. And yep. uh, and, I, and you're going to need a relay to run those, at least properly. Otherwise, you're going to be going through switches really fast. The switches and wiring. So, oh, yeah. And you could burn up wire, too, couldn't you? Well, yeah, because when you take the switch out, it takes the connector that goes to the, the uh, switch also, just, you know, from heat transfer. And so now you get to put a new end on your wire as well as uh, uh, put in another switch. So, uh, uh, yeah, as, as your load increases, and, and we have all kinds of fun toys, um, and something that you're very familiar with and I'm not so familiar with is the kind of loads that you get from uh, audio equipment in cars nowadays. Uh, That's right. There's a serious load there, and... Uh, uh, you know, a lot of those guys now that are running some big subs in their uh, uh, sound system and so forth, they're, you know, they're running 200 amp alternators and 100 amps of it is going to their sound system. So, uh, uh, yeah, there's... for those out there that, you know, are, are unfamiliar, you know, anytime you're running, you know, large speakers like the subwoofers that, that provide that bass, that, that boom, um, they, you need an amplifier. And uh, and those amplifiers, they they draw a fair amount of current. And although you know they all they have is a little wire that turns them on, they basically have a relay that are that is built into them, and that's how they turn on. You run that wire off the the back of your stereo or from the ignition switch or something, and and that's what turns that on. And basically, it's just a low amperage trigger. And and that's uh, what Steve was talking about earlier. Uh, it just it just takes a little bit of voltage. And I think relays, from what I know. They only require, I mean, just milliamps of current. I and mean, we're talking fractions of one amperage of current to operate that little electromagnetic switch to make them do what they want to do. And That's for those high current uh, audio systems, they've got a, basically a little relay built into them. And you just supply a little bit of juice coming out of the back of your stereo or from your ignition switch, and they do the rest of the work. Yes, they do. And, and if they have another type of amplifier in them, too, because the, the wire that runs... The, the actual sound for that sub is not a large wire either that comes off of your dash stereo. So, uh, you know, that's another situation where we use a little bit of current and it's amplified into a lot of current. And uh, so there, there's all kinds of, as I say, situations where you can use relays and it's any time you need to have a lot of current go to something. And well, let's, let's talk about them. some of those uses. What are what are some of the things that you can use relays for? Okay, um, I use a variation of a starter relay to uh, run the isolator for my dual batteries. So I have a relay running a, uh, uh, a what basically amounts to a starter solenoid, a continuous duty solenoid to isolate my batteries with. Um, when the when the ignition is is turned off, they're they're uh, disconnected. Yeah, they're disconnected, so I can leave my headlights on, which I have done, 
but we all. I think and, uh, a few of us have done that over the years. <laughs> yeah. So I run down my primary battery, and all I have to do is is use power from the uh, auxiliary battery, my yellow top, and and uh, when I turn the key on, then I've got a, a full battery backing me up, and I can get it started if it's dead. Uh, and so or, that, or that big starter relay and that solenoid, um, they're able to handle the, the high current that is put out by the alternator, so that I guess when the engine is running you've got the juice from the alternator feeding both batteries. Right, I do. And it's all automatic. Uh, another another application that I use on my own Jeep is uh, electric fans. And anybody that has a 4-liter Jeep has an electric fan on the uh, cooling system. And that fan is run by a relay. Uh, yeah, because you can't you can't run a uh, you can't run a an electric motor at least one of that size uh, just off a of straight juice and, and and a switch you you gotta you gotta have that that relay in there to trigger that because it those electric motors do do pull a fair amount of amperage. Yeah, especially when they start up. Um, yeah. In in my case, I've got uh, it's not the normal situation, but it could be for a lot of us. Uh, uh, I run a uh, as a primary electric fan, I run a Taurus uh, uh, fan off of a 3.8 liter Taurus, and I measured the current, and just running, it pulls 38 amps. That's a so, big draw. It is. A, well, it moves a lot of air, <laughs> but it's a big draw. And then I've got another fan next to it that's my secondary fan, and it pulls 24 amps when it's running. So uh, just between the two of them, you know, if I was had you know, like I have my air conditioning going, I run both fans. I've got over you know sixty amps there of just fan running. Uh, well, and that's and, a, that's an important thing to touch on. I mean, just just slightly off topic. I mean, just with the, that fan use alone, not including any other electrical system in the Jeep, you're pulling sixty amps. And most, I mean, stock alternators are under a hundred amps. So now all of a sudden you flip on another circuit like headlights, you know, that's that's a good 20, 25 amps right there. And you haven't even turned on the stereo or any auxiliary lighting or, or anything else for that matter. And all of a sudden you're maxing out your alternator real quick. Yeah, mine's a little more than that. It's, it's a Chevy alternator, but it's it's about 125 amps. But yeah, it's pushing it. You know, I watch my voltmeter and it starts dipping down below 12 and a half, you know, and that means it's draining my batteries. Yeah, and that's a big strain on the alternators too. I mean, uh, I mean, alternators we think of as a mechanical device. Uh, they are an electrical device, and you know, they they put out that current, and you got to be careful. So when we're talking about amperage here, just uh, real quick, I want to make sure that people understand that you start adding all these things up, you got to make sure that you've got the right equipment to feed them. Uh, and so you know, you want to make sure that if if you do have large amounts of auxiliary lighting and multiple fans and onboard air and a large system and you know things like that that you got the proper equipment in there that can feed all these things safely. But sorry yeah, to uh, yeah. digress there, Steve. I mean, what what else can we use a relay for? You got anything else on your list? Oh, uh, well, I've got some other little cooling fans in my hood that I, I use them for. Uh, and I use all, uh, relays, and I don't want to get too far into this here, but, but I use uh, a bank of relays to, uh, in, in place of, uh, some of the fancier uh, uh, electrical fan controllers that you can buy for about a hundred bucks. Um, I have a 
a set of relays instead. And, and one of the functions that I have used a single relay for, or actually two relays, because I have a, the fans sensors operate differently. One one operates off of positive, and the other operates off the ground. But I have two little relays that I put in just to cut the power to those for when I'm fording. And and I have some areas that I wheel in where uh, there's muddy water coming up over the bumper. And uh, uh, well, that's pretty I, ingenious to to cut the juice to those fans, those electric fans, when you're doing a deep water crossing. And I mean, the hood is going to be the first thing that I mean, that front end is going to be the first thing to touch the water. And you got an electric fan going, well, you could probably short those out and you sink that thing underwater. Yeah, in fact, I ruined a fan. Uh, I, I, uh, I got a uh, small piece of wood that was floating on top in the fan and it wedged in there between the fan blade and the shroud and, and lost my fan. I didn't know why. And oh. uh, so <laughs> we turned around and went home <laughs> because we had no cooling. So... Uh, uh, yeah, stuff like that uh, can happen, and you need to be able to cut the power to it uh, because if you try to run those electric fans underwater, you'll cook them, and you won't have it anymore. And you're likely to uh, blow the fuse on the circuit that's feeding those, and if you've tapped into a, another circuit that you know is, is supplying something important to the Jeep, well, you're, you might be dead in the water, literally. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have made provision for that, but uh, yes. <laughs> relays and that's and that's a circuit breaker they're just another little black box with two posts on them and they come in different averages and, and instead of fusing a relay which is going to draw a lot of power anyway instead of trying to use you know some of these larger spade fuses for instance uh, to protect them i use a circuit breaker which will reset yeah, you know, circuit breakers you can reset. It's just a flip of a switch, basically. A, a fuse you can't reset those. You got to replace those. Yeah, well, the automotive circuit breakers reset themselves as soon as they cool off. They're not quite like the circuit breakers in your house, but uh, yeah, they they reset themselves. And uh, when I first put some in, it was real handy because until uh, I chased down the problem because I was getting this problem where I'd uh, drive for ten minutes and then I quit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, wait, pop the hood, wait for it to cool off, start it back up, you know, go a little further, <laughs> and get it home. So, uh, uh, they, they are a handy another little black box to use with your relays instead of the fuse, and it's a great way to protect your stuff. And and some, of you, uh, some of you folks out there might be thinking, oh, man, all this sounds super technical and, and it sounds expensive and stuff like that. Honestly, relays, you can get relays online for as little as two bucks. And you can get them at the auto parts store for a little bit more. They're, they're you know, probably anywhere from five to fifteen dollars. You know, they're really, really good ones. You know, that you might run, you know, ten, fifteen dollars personally in in, uh, in my years of experience. I prefer the Bosch relays. They're bar none one of the most reliable relays on the market. And those will run you a little bit more expensive, maybe ten or fifteen dollars on the high side. Uh, but any if you got a um, a car stereo shop in your town, you can find relays there. They're they're used very often in, in automotive electronics, especially in the audio field. You go down to go down to your uh, local car audio shop, talk to one of the installers there. Don't talk to the salesman. Talk to one of the installers, and uh, I. 
bet your bottom dollar he's got a whole drawer full of those things. He'd be willing to part with you for uh, for a few bucks, I'm sure. But uh, yeah. I mean, one of the most common things in in our uh, you know in our lives that we could use a relay for on, on our jeeps is that auxiliary lighting. And uh, and we'll go ahead and, and I'll make sure that that uh, I get a, a diagram posted up for everybody to see on on just how you could wire up a relay to run a set of auxiliary lights off of a very basic you know a couple dollar switch from Radio Shack or something like that. Yeah, and another thing we want to do uh, too is, and this question comes up a lot, uh, is uh, okay. I've got four hundred watt lights. Um, how many amps is that full? So I think uh, when we do this, Josh, we need to uh, post up Ohm's law so that everybody knows how to figure out how many uh, amps are going to be pulling and, and how they need to uh, install their, their relays, how many they're going to need, and so forth. That's a real good point. I actually, uh, I'll post up a link. I don't have it right in front of me right this minute, but um, uh, Ohm's law, folks, is is the uh, the electrician's calculator, so to speak. It's you know wattage, amperage, voltage, all that, and they all relate to each other. And it's a matter of you know adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing these numbers of wattage and voltage and things like that to to get you know figure out the numbers that you need for the kind of circuit that you're wiring. And, uh, and it's really easy math, and there's a couple online calculators where all you got to do is plug in the numbers like, I've got a 12-volt system, I've got two 100-watt lights, that's 200 watts, and the calculator does the rest of, of all the calculations that you got to worry about. So we'll get that posted up for folks so they're um, wiring things up safely and, and properly. And speaking of wiring, Steve, um, how do you, what, what's the best way to wire these relays up? I mean, for the, for the backyard installer, for somebody who's not... You know, super familiar with you know wiring and and you know twelve volt stuff in the automotive electrical field. You know, how do you wire these things up? I mean, not, not without getting into specific installation instructions. Um, give us some pointers as to you know what we want to look for and do when we're wiring these things up. Okay, uh, so one of the things that I do, uh, and I'll, I'll post a, a picture of uh, my my relay bank uh, while we're doing this, but. There's some uh, plugs you can get, like call them pigtails, whatever you want to call them, um, that are pre-wired already, and they just plug into your relay. And once you put one of those on, uh, particularly one of the 50-amp type that I have on, on my two fans, um, it becomes kind of almost intuitive about how to wire them up. But basically... There are there are some numbers and and we'll post a diagram of the numbers and 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 so forth. But these spades that come out, these relays have numbers on them, and you got to get your glasses on and your magnifying glass out because they're pretty small. But what it amounts to and it is as you as you put the relay down so that the uh, top side is is up, the power go, the main power goes in the bottom and the main power comes out the top. That's as easy as it gets. And then there's a couple of connectors on the side, and that's the coil that operates it. And it does not matter which one of those is the positive and which one is the negative. It's going to operate the same no matter what you do. So pick one, run it to your switch, and pick another one and find a ground for it. And uh, that's about all you need to do. And then it's ready to go. So we don't we don't want to uh, just wrap some wire around these spade terminals if we can't find one of those pigtails, do we? Uh, no, no. You can use you can use uh, crimp connectors. Uh, 
The one thing I have to caution you is you have to use a good crimper. Uh, the best crimper I have was actually made in China. I hate to say it. It was better than my client. But uh, uh, you have to get a good, tight, solid crimp on these connectors, or if you get into some high amperage situations, say about 20 amps or so, you'll fry the wire or you're there because you start generating heat. And the more you generate, the more the wire oxidizes, and then the more current it pulls and the hotter it gets, and it's a vicious cycle, and pretty soon something's not working. And you look at your wire and your connector, and it's all kind of brown or black, and, and the insulation is bubbled up and so forth. So you have to have really good connectors on there. Not really good connectors, but ones that are rated for what you're going to use. And uh, when you get these connectors, um, it helps to uh, know what their rating is because, for instance, uh, these relays, you can buy pigtails for them, these, these plugs that go into them, and they're only rated at 40 amps. And yet the, uh, the relay itself will be rated at 57 amps. But if you run anything near... 40 amps through that uh, connector, uh, it's not going to last. It's going to get hot unless you've got one that's actually rated for 50 amps. Um, I get my 50 amp uh, plugs at a uh, place where the guy rebuilds alternators and stuff like that, and he has them. I can't buy them at Napa or anything. They don't know what I'm talking about. So uh, they are available, but you have to do a little homework. And for my Taurus fan that pulls 38 amps, I have to run one of those 50 amp uh, plugs on there or it'll cook it, even though it's running 38 amps and, it, and the, everything might be rated for 40, it's not going to do it. So you have to kind of build some fudge factor into your, your electrical system. You can't be running as much as what it says it's rated for. And I that, that, use, that rating is that rating is just a, a maximum rating. I mean, that's that's your peak. You don't want to exceed that for any more than than an instant. Uh, right. So I mean, if you've if you've done your math and and you've calculated that you've got a forty amp draw constantly, uh, you know that's not accounting for a peak. And a forty amp a forty amp um, relay isn't going to last very long. It may be it may say it's rated for forty amps. But realistically, that's more like you know twenty to thirty-five um, at a constant load. Uh, yeah. And so when you hit that peak, you get a voltage spike or something like that. Um, you're gonna be you're gonna be putting a lot of strain on that relay, and that's when things kind of start to get hot, or they start to melt, or worse, they start to short out, and all of a sudden you see that smoke coming out from under your hood or underneath your dash. Right. Uh, I personally. Um use the 75% rule. Um, that's a rule that they have for uh, house wiring or any industrial application. Um, wh whatever the switches and the breakers and everything are rated for, you never exceed 75% of that rating. Yeah, that and gives you a little bit of a safety buffer, a little bit of headroom to work with. That's right. And, and that way uh, you keep the heat down. And that's that's the, the idea behind that rating and the 75% rule is you, you want to keep the heat down. Um, and you talked about spikes. Uh, my Taurus radiator fan, when it starts up on high, it pulls 90 amps. And, and I want to tell you what. Just, 
even though that's just for an instant, that's a 90 amp draw. And if your system's only rated for, you know, half of that, well, you're going to start blowing stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll start giving headlights for sure anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if there's something going bonkers with all that, uh, I know it because when the fan comes on, the headlights blink. Well, I know I've uh, I've pulled up to a stoplight before, and uh, you know I can hear the stereo of the guy in front of me, and I can see I can sit there and watch his brake lights dim in, dim out, dim in, dim out, dim in, with the with the beat of the music that he's playing. I can almost tell just by his brake lights what kind of music he's listening to, and and that's a sign of uh, somebody drawing too many amps. Yeah, you better go to LEDs, right? So he's not drawing so much power there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, uh, that's. You know, the basics, you got to, you know, do a little bit of homework and, and plan out your system so that you you know that what you have is uh, rated for uh, whatever you're drawing plus a third, and, uh, and then that'll give you some safety error. Or uh, as in uh, sometimes I know some engineers that uh, call it a fudge factor. Yeah, so, that's uh, right. I've, I've heard that term before. <laughs> I've, I've used that term have. before. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah again, I'll, we'll make sure to uh, to post up that that um, that online Ohm's law calculator. So you guys out there that are going to be doing your own installs and stuff like that, um, if you decide to do so, um, you'll you'll have the ability to uh, to make sure you're doing it right. And uh, and going back to what Steve was saying uh, earlier, as far as the wiring goes. If you are buying relays online, um, they I've seen them all over the place uh, that come with those pigtails, those those pre-wired sockets that the relays plug into. And and when you're buying them as a set like that, they are usually paired up, so you don't have to worry about matching the relay to the socket if you're buying them together like that. And um, and with the connectors, you know, there's connectors are, are usually rated along with the wire that you're using. So I mean. If you're using a large gauge wire, you obviously have to use a larger gauge um, crimp connector, uh, and so you want to make sure that you're matching up those connectors with the wires that you're using. Yes, that's true, and and I always go up the size. Uh, I'm a firm believer in heavy wiring. Um, oh, ditto. One of the classic examples of wiring not being big enough is is our headlights. Uh, yes. One of the popular uses for relays, getting back to a question you asked earlier. Uh, one of those popular uses is to uh, get a uh, headlight wiring harness from LMC truck, and it has two relays in it that draw power directly from the battery. And it makes your headlights brighter for the simple reason that now the wiring can carry more electricity than it did before, so now you have more juice to the uh, filaments in your lights, and you get better headlights out of it. That's one of the most common and probably one of the best hailed modifications that you can do to an XJ is the headlight harness upgrade. And it's a plug and play and all it just like Steve said, it's a couple of relays and it's you hook up a ground, you hook up a power and you plug a couple things in and all of a sudden now you your headlights literally will come to life. You you would have thought that you would uh put a set of runway lights up in the front of that Cherokee. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the, uh, one of the things that I hear time and time again is as one of the best mods that somebody's done to their XJ is that headlight upgrade. And with that, with that harness rather. And, uh, and it, I mean, if LMC has got them for relatively cheap, there's a few other companies out there that make them. I know like e auto works is a, is a common one. 
Uh, I know the IPF makes one as well. I'm sure there's a few others out there that that make these headlight upgrade harnesses. And and just like he was saying, it's just a couple of relays, and that's how they work. They send some more higher current, higher amperage current down the line to those headlights. They're starving for that amperage and starving for that voltage. Yeah, and and you know the list goes on for for relays. And, and another one that you brought up that's that you're going to need is is a relay to uh, and a circuit breaker. If you buy an electric onboard air, uh, they pull some juice too. And so it's a good idea to set them up to run off your ignition switch to uh, so that you don't have your compressor uh, running off while you're uh, not attending your vehicle and don't realize it's running your battery down. That's so, right. You know, there's, in that situation, there really is nothing more than a safety. But then again, it allows you to uh, have a uh, high draw of current that doesn't go through the ignition switch. It's all about safety, folks. It's all about making sure we're we're wiring things up properly. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that we can do to our XJs electrically uh, as far as upgrades and modifications and stuff. And relays can play in a very important part and really make things uh, a whole lot easier on you and, and your installation. And uh, as long as you, you know, wire them up properly, they can uh, they can be your best friend. Well, Steve, that's a that's a lot of awesome information. A lot of really good pointers, uh, a lot of really good tips. And uh, again, we'll make sure to post up some links and some pictures for you guys to follow on xjtalk.com in the electrical and audio tips section, um, so you guys can have uh, some visual references to some of the stuff that we've been talking about here. And uh, and I ask anybody if you've got if you got any questions about this kind of stuff. Um, both Steve and I are a great resource to help you guys out if you're stuck in an installation and, um, and you, you know, you need some questions, you need some pointers. Um, you know, you can find us, uh, online at xjtalk.com. Uh, his is, uh, you know, 4.3 LXJ and mine's NW99XJ and you can find us on there and, and, uh, send us a private message and, and, uh, or find us in the chat room sometimes and we'll be happy to, to help you out. Or you can post up, uh, a, a post there in the electrical and audio tips section, uh, here, I'll be uh, sure to, to answer you guys and help you out as, as we can. I think the idea of posting up would be a good thing uh, because uh, that way everybody else can see it too. You know, there'll, be, there'll be somebody thinking about an upgrade somewhere doing the same thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, share, sharing, the, sharing the wealth, sharing the information. Hey, Steve, thanks again. Really appreciate it. And uh, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Josh. The electrical and audio tip segment is intended for entertainment purposes only and not to be used as professional advice or as instructional guidance. Any attempts to use information provided in this segment are done at your own risk. Electrical and audio repair, troubleshooting, or installation is best left to trained and certified professionals. Manufacturing the toughest, strongest, most adjustable control arms in the industry and giving you the best performing, most affordable long arm kit on the market, Ironman 4x4 has what you're looking for. Improve the capabilities of your Jeep with a wide selection of suspension and steering components, shackles, even motor mounts and transmission mounts. Add to that an entire array of custom builder parts for virtually any project and combine them with brands like Bilstein, King, Fox, Procomp, Energy Suspension and Curry and you'll know you're getting the best for your Jeep. You got a custom project? Ironman 4x4 can fabricate custom links to your specifications in both steel or 7075 alloy aluminum and available with genuine Johnny joints. Ironman 4x4 stands behind their work, offering a lifetime guarantee on all control arm steel parts. 
family-owned, American-owned, and American-made right here in the USA. International shipping is available. See our eBay store or order by phone, 704-796-3502, or check us out on the web at ironman4x4fab.com. That's ironman4x4fab.com. This is Dan from the 4x4 Podcast, and you're listening to the XJ Talk Show. And tonight we've got Ben from uh, Bushwhacker. Uh, ben has uh, been with Bushwhacker for a little over a year now, and uh, he is the social media manager there. Ben's currently in uh, Moab, Utah, and uh, on location, so to speak, uh, for uh, Bushwhacker, which has to be a pretty cool job. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. So, um, you know, I was reading uh back when we first scheduled this interview i was digging around and i saw some stuff online uh about you on the uh, uh the bushwhacker blog which is blog.bushwhacker.com and uh it was who's the new guy and, and i thought it was uh thought it was pretty funny how you found uh the bushwhacker job on craigslist yeah i uh I guess I, I never would have expected to find the job on Craigslist. I, I was just actually kind of trolling around looking for um, digital strategy jobs, and I was in the marketing section, and there was this ad that was basically right up my alley talking about off-roading and all these different things. I was like, well, who's this company? So I did a little investigation. I found out it's Bushwhacker, and they're in my own backyard, and I had no idea. Uh, I applied, and... Maybe I didn't hear from him for about a month or so, so I kind of got, you know, frustrated, and I was like, okay, well, I guess I wasn't the candidate. And I went and sold my car at the time because I felt like it didn't fit my lifestyle. I ended up buying a Jeep just on a whim, a 99 TJ. And a week later, Bushwhacker called me and wanted to have an interview right after I had the TJ. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. I pull out, I park right in front of their um, conference room, uh, unbeknowingly in front of the <laughs> conference room where we would have the interview. And I go in there, uh, basically guns a-blazing, and they were totally impressed with what I had to say, and they loved that I had a Jeep. And here I am now talking to you from Moab, Utah. <laughs> that's great. And uh, I, I imagine that's pretty uh, – well, uh, Ben was telling me about some uh, some issues that they've had on this trip with the trailer and uh, uh, the the TJ leaking a little bit. I know the uh, uh, we're all used to all the XJ owners are used to uh, cooling system problems with uh, with the Cherokees, so we can all feel your pain. <clears throat> but uh, I would imagine, other than problems being uh, being out and about like that, it's a pretty cool job being able to uh, live that life of. Uh, uh, being paid to go places with uh, with your Jeep and and actually yeah, yeah it's it, I can't complain to be honest you know I last night I slept in the cab of the F two fifty and I was like pretty I was pretty miserable I'll, I'll be honest but then I thought to myself I'm going to Moab Utah well, what do I have to be complaining about I mean this is this is a great opportunity for me and who doesn't want to go to Moab I mean it's an off road mecca for many people so. Um, I, I feel very fortunate. I, I'm very grateful for this job. I really am. That's great. Now, uh, <laughs> also reading that article, I saw that you, before getting the TJ, 
you had a 2007 Honda and you actually traded it in for the, the 99 TJ. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, there's a, uh, there's all kinds of comments on XJ talk about, uh, we don't bash a lot of, a lot of stuff, uh, but, uh, Hummers, uh, you know, specifically the H twos and, uh, yeah. Hondas usually catch most of the wrath. So I personally don't have a problem with Hondas, but just for the, the integrity of the show, I probably would have had to, had to have hung up on you if you had a Honda. <laughs> well, I, I tend to work in extreme. So, you know, I go from one to another. And granted, the, the Civic was a fluke in all of my, um, I guess, vehicles that I've owned. Before that, I had a, a 96 Tahoe that was lifted six inches with 35s. Um, and before that, I had a full-size 87 Suburban. So um, it was just kind of one of those, like, I wanted two-door sporty coupe just to kind of fuel it out, but uh, it, it wasn't my style. So uh, now I'm, I have the TJ and an F-250. Well, I, I tell you what, uh, sitting, sitting low is fun except when you're in traffic. And then that's whenever being up high so that you can see what's around you is, is the thing that I like the best. Now, I'm in Houston, yeah. so where you are, you may not have uh, a lot of traffic, but I get to sit through uh, an hour's worth of traffic both ways uh, to and from, uh, work. So I really like being up and being able to see, especially whenever you don't know when they're going to stop. So yeah, driving yeah. something low, it was like, uh, I was driving my wife's TJ, uh, there for a little bit while the, uh, we were going through some problems with the, uh, the 4.0 rebuild on the, the 98 Cherokee. And, um, uh, I had, I was really happy that I had put the, the four inch lift on it because even the TJ seemed very low to me. Uh, and it had, yeah. had 32 uh, inch tires on it. So anyway, I, I really like that, uh, uh, that ability to see and, and pretty much know you're going to be able to get from point A to point B whenever the, pardon me, the Hondas are stuck in, uh, you know, six inches of water. <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. Uh, the, uh, the only thing they're really good for is, uh, gas mileage and, uh, handling on the corners. But other than that, you know, I'll pass, I suppose. Oh man, gas mileage would be great for uh, if we could just have the gas mileage like that on a uh, a, a nice lifted vehicle. Now, uh, oh, I, now, now you you did get to take the TJ with you uh, to Moab, right? Correct, correct. Um, I had to I had to jettison the F two fifty in a trailer in Provo, Utah, due to my uh, more or less my rear end blowing out on my F two fifty on a I fifteen during rush hour, but. Um, other than that, yes, I did get to take the TJ. It was being towed, and I took it the rest of the distance, you know, the little TJ that could. And now, I, now I'm here um, going to wheel. I, what, what two tails do we sign up for? Steel bender and fins and things? Yeah, so those are the two that we're going to be doing tomorrow. Or not tomorrow, actually. Fins and things tomorrow and steel bender on the next day. Are you, are you going to be having any of these videos up, either on Bushwhacker or the Bushwhacker site or on YouTube or both? <laughs> We were just talking about that tonight. We forgot the GoPros. Out of all the things, you know, we decided to pack. Um, we do have a um, Canon Rebel with us that can take some pretty um, decent uh, high-res videos. So we'll have pictures and um, video up on the blog and our Facebook page and Twitter and Instagram. So, you know, across the social media channels, we'll have content um, around the board. Great. Well, look, I don't want to jinx you, but I'll just tell you my, my fear. Don't roll it. <laughs> you know, I've heard a lot of people, especially with TJs, you know, that you know, they're prone to roll or flip or to send the other thing. And uh, when I first went to Moab and 
last April or this April, I guess. Uh, that's the only thing I'd heard. And, you know, TJs are easy to flip, this, that, and the other thing, especially in Moab and on the rocks and how they're all slippery. And so I get to Moab in April for the Easter Jeep Safari. And the first day that I'm there, we're going on, um, yeah, behind the rocks, I believe, which is a trail rated seven. And it snowed that day. And so it's my first day wheeling in Moab on Slick Rocks already, and it's snowing, and it's the first time I've really done some hardcore wheeling with a manual. So it was an interesting um, experience, but I, I got the feel of it real quick. And it actually, um, it reminded me a lot of the vehicle that I drove in the military where the nose kind of just goes straight up in the air, and all you see is sky, and then all of a sudden you come down. Um, I That's the way my vehicle handled back then, too, when I was in the Marines, so... Um, I felt really kind of natural behind the wheel. I, it wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. Well, it's great. I, and thank you for your service, by the way. Uh, oh, yeah. I think we all love the military on XJ Talk. I don't think anybody talks bad about them, at least not more than once. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, let's get, let's get over to the, uh, the actual Bushwhacker products. Um, <laughs> well, this is, this is kind of a, uh, you know, I don't want to insult you or Bushwhacker, but I'll just ask um, is Working at Bushwhacker for for a year now, surely you guys uh, know about the 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 nickname that people give the Bushwhacker flares. They call them bushcrackers. Uh, how yeah. how, <laughs> how does Bushwhacker that, that, feel that's about that? that I've, I've heard around the rumor mill. Well, not the rumor mill. It's it's people do say that. Actually, one of my first days on the job when I was working there, um, and I'm running their Facebook page. I'm new. Uh, I don't really know how to be the voice of the brand quite yet, and. Somebody gets on our Facebook wall and types in just uh, something about bushcrackers, and he actually put in a registered trademark symbol on it as well. And I was just like, <laughs> that's the first time I ever had any experience. And I was like, well, one, what is this guy talking about? And two, he, it's a, he used uh, a registered trademark. He used, should have used the TM set. But regardless, uh, it was, that was my first experience. So... We did for a while have a reputation, apparently, um, but long before I was there, uh, of you know the, the flares cracking on the Jeep application. But um, that's when they were made with TPS or not ABS um, plastic, and since then they've re um, revisited the design and gone with a, a TPO. Which the difference between the two is that uh, TPO is much more flexible and it's much more resilient to impact. And so it also um, remembers its shape. So when it impacts, it will usually, nine times out of ten, pop right back out into place. If it's a severe impact and it severely dimples or dents the flare, um, heat will usually pop it right back out into place. Well, that's great news. Uh, I'm glad to hear that, and I'm glad I asked that question. Uh, I've always enjoyed the Bushwhacker products, and uh, in fact, I have a a set of the cutouts on my 98XJ, and uh, about six, eight months ago, uh, we got a 2003 TJ for my wife to drive, and I put on the uh, Bushwhacker uh, flat flares on, on it. And actually, uh, one, of the, one of my girls uh, in high school, high school uh, age girl, was using the flare in the back to step on to get in the back of the Jeep. And, uh, and, that's, ex yeah. and that's what you're saying, it, it, it wrinkled or it uh, warped where she had stepped on it and um then over a period of time and i noticed as it was out in the sun over a period of time it's completely gone and it was a, a yeah. it was a fairly substantial wrinkle that she put in it 
I was not a happy camper. <laughs> no, I bet not. I bet not. But it was. And that, that's funny you mentioned that because uh, it's just I just got in maybe an hour or two ago, and uh, somebody had posted a picture on our Facebook timeline of them standing on their XJ flares, on their flat flares, uh, 17-year-old with his whole body weight. So uh, it's interesting to see what people do with these flares. Well, she she actually stepped on it uh, kind of in because my wife misunderstood me. I had put them on the TJ, and I was really impressed with how sturdy they were. And I said, yeah. I said, I bet you that the, the girls, specifically my, my youngest daughter, Mandy, could actually use this as a step to get in. I didn't say uh-huh. I didn't say for her to use it. I said I bet she could. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I didn't add, but don't, damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't go ahead and do that. Just uh, they can if you need to, but don't do it. Yeah. yeah. So that that was kind of my first uh, my first uh, induction into the the new flare. Now it, now the 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 cutouts that I have aren't that old. I think two or three years, and uh, I think it probably has the new plastic too, based on. The now I did I did crack mine whenever I got on a submerged uh, uh, tree stump, and uh, I, I know one guy that was there watching that who had you know referred to them as bushcrackers said he had a new newfound respect for the bushwhacker flares after seeing me uh, up on the uh, uh, up on the tree stump because he said uh, I was pushing it in pretty far so I have a little crack on where one of the bolts are which which is yeah. a, sorry which is another question I wanted to ask you about. Um, what I have always heard is that the, uh, if you break a, uh, a flare, like, a in, in my case, a, uh, a cutout flare, uh, if you, you're, you're pretty well stuck with either taking them all off. I mean, either riding with it broken, taking them all off or buying a whole new set. So, uh, my question is, is there, is that, is that correct? Can you not buy an individual flare to replace the one you broke? Well, that is correct. You can't buy an individual flare, but you can buy them in pairs, typically. So um, the way our process works is that we buy sheets of material that are um, cut and fit for our molding. So um, we have a mold that is in pairs. So we have the front pair and the rear pair. Um, we, we don't make individual molds for individual flares. So when we stamp a piece, it's actually the set together. Um, we do that to minimize waste um, and to be more uh, efficient that way. So if there is an issue where, let's say, you a flare is broken or it's been ripped off or some other defect, you don't have to buy a full set. You can only you can buy a, a pair if you would like. Now, how would you go about getting a pair? Would that be something you would contact uh, the bushwhacker directly, or well, or do? The- yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's a warranty issue, uh, then yes, you would contact Bushwhacker directly, and I mean, typically they'll ask for pictures to just verify what you know what you're saying is true, and then they'll nine times out of ten pass it through, and then uh, a set would be mailed to you. Uh, that's a warranty case. Now, if it was let's say negligence or abuse or some other issue, then you, you would probably have to go to the person that you had purchased them from, the dealer that you had bought them from, um, to, to pick up that pair set. Because we offer the pair sets, um, all the dealers that we go through or that go through us have those part numbers available to them. 
Oh, okay. So you could actually just you could go to anybody that sells bushwhacker flares. Now that's interesting. Yeah. I, I, uh, how exactly would it be a warranty issue if you broke the? I mean, obviously, if you break the flare, you were uh, up against something. It, I mean, it just didn't crack by itself. So you got? Do you guys warranty um, <laughs> abuse basically? Well, I mean, it's a fine line. You know, if um, if if it's slammed into a tree or a boulder or um, something along those lines, then, you know, that that's probably a little rough play. But if it was general, like, day-to-day wear, where you're driving from A to B, um, that maybe the, dr- the, the, the hole that's drilled is too close to the outside of the flare, um, and there's not enough material between um, the outside of that hole and the end of the flare, uh, and that causes a crack, then that would be a situation where we'd go and warranty it. Okay, good. Because I, you know, I thought maybe I was hearing something along the lines of, "Hey, we know you're you're you put it on your vehicle, and it's probably going to be taken off road. So if you crack it, we'll uh, replace it." So I just want to make sure that that wasn't the case. And and to be clear, that's not what Ben's talking about. He's talking about like a a manufacturer defect or something that. Uh, is uh, something that happens that you wouldn't expect to occur, like what he's saying, not enough material and the bolt hole uh, cracks, et cetera. So, so guys, don't think you're going to replace your stuff. Now, and now, again... <laughs> yeah, for, don't go buy a set and then just ram it into a wall. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah let, me, let me test out this warranty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's see what happens here. So um, that... Um, uh, oh, gosh, I, lo- I lost my train of thought on that. But anyway, uh, so... Well, that's great. That's great to know. Oh, that's right. I was thinking, well, this is actually a pretty good deal because if somebody got, uh, I mean, even paying for a new set, if somebody got the, uh, some of the uh, original, uh, I'm sorry, was it ABS? That was the brittle? Yeah. If somebody had the original ABS plastic flares and they broke one of them and then they had to buy a new pair, it would be the new plastic. So they would be less likely to break it, which I think is, uh, is probably worth replacing them uh, at that point. Yes, yes. I mean, if you're a serious off-roader, then you would definitely want the TPO material rather than the ABS. Um, I, I don't know whoever made that call way back in the day, but um, I'm glad that they did make that change over to the TPO. Uh, the, the flat players that I have on my TJ right now are TPO, and um, I put them up against some things. And, uh, you know, honestly, other than a few abrasions here and there, um, they are just as strong as they were when I first put them on. Yeah, they're very nice and they're very well made. They look, they look pretty even close. And I get in trouble all the time for talking about pretty jeeps. Uh, there's this, there's, there's whole, uh, this whole thing that they started on the jeep because my jeep's red, and uh, yeah. they say you know jeeps shouldn't be red. They should be green. Only green jeeps are true off road, and they they shouldn't be ever be washed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, you got a jeep, you understand. Yeah. But anyway, well, I, it, I have a I have a maroon jeep and. Uh, I have, I plan to eventually paint it green. So I kind of trying to fit that mold, but yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of a poser still because I have a red Jeep. <laughs> well, mine's staying red. And actually we were lucky enough to find a red TJ and it's exact, the exact same paint code. So I'm sure the neighbors think we're just completely nuts. <laughs> no, you're just uh, madly in love with each other. It's all right. Uh, that's right. And we're both uh, reds, the our favorite, both of our favorite colors, so it works out very well. Well, that's great. Now, um, so you know, if you got a, uh, let me ask you about the TJ here for a second. Now, 
when you were out looking for a replacement for your Honda, did you at least look at a, a, a Cherokee? <laughs> uh, no, actually, I didn't. I didn't even. I wasn't even looking at Wranglers, to be honest with you. I was just. I was on a whim, and I just randomly saw this Jeep, and I just kind of fell in love with it, and uh, and I, I picked it up. I'm kind of one of those gut reaction sort of guys, and it's like when I know, I know. Um, I and I don't. Yeah, I didn't see any Cherokees. I think on the lots at the places that I'd went to. Otherwise. You know, honestly, there there's this guy that works with me that has two or three pristine XJs, um, or has had uh, over the course of the years. And uh, you can see his pictures in some of our Facebook albums. Um, he has this like bluish green XJ um, with a, I think a full traction long arm kit. I don't know if it's long arm or not, but uh, after seeing that thing wheel, um, I kind of I kind of fell in love with the XJ, and the funny thing is, is that after that, I've really begun to notice the popularity of the XJ as a whole. And uh, I was at the Off-Road Expo maybe two weeks ago, and the most requested application that we um, that I got there at the show were, was for XJ parts or XJ flares. Um, so I mean, that's just a testament to how great uh, that build was, and it's uh, got me thinking. You know, maybe someday. I can weasel in the next day into my budget whenever I can. Well, I think that's one of the beautiful things about the XJ is uh, that they're so damn cheap. They made nearly three million of them. They're they were used a lot uh, by the various government agencies around the U.S. So there's a whole bunch of parts, and uh, like I like I may have already mentioned, they're cheap. So uh, yeah, I I have no idea. Yeah, and basically they're the same same drivetrain. Uh, on a Wrangler, and uh, actually was one of the reasons why I wanted to get a, a, a TJ and not a, a JK because I wanted to have the straight six. I wanted to have, uh, you know, the Dana uh, thirty, and uh, unfortunately, I've got the Dana thirty five in the rear on the TJ. But I'm going to do something about that. Yeah, I've got the I've got the thirty five on the rear in mine as well. But I went through. I basically got it that whole thing, and uh, the only thing that is remaining on that 35 is the actual like housing itself the rest is all aftermarket oh well you did what we call polishing the turd <laughs> yes and it's a, it's a very fine polished turd so uh it hasn't failed me yet although although i had to put in some gear oil today because it is leaking a little bit oh well that's minor you know uh, jeeps don't leak they mark their territory that's a that's an old one <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's the case, I've been marking my way all the way since uh, Portland, Oregon. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, the 35, it, it'll work, and it, you can build a 35, but it, it, the way I've always uh, heard is by the time you put uh, enough money into a 35 to make it uh, near bulletproof, you could uh, put something else in for, you know, it's a lot better for the same cost or less, uh, like a Dana 44 or something. So, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what I've heard, too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely nothing wrong with the Dana 35. It's just, it scares me. I mean, she's never going to be off-road. I might take it off-road. Uh, I'm sure I'll get chewed on about it. You know, you better not dent it or anything. But, um, yeah, but anyway, I was kind of looking at, like, maybe, I'm, I'm trying to find, uh, like, a uh, uh, a JK44, uh, but I think it's going to be really hard to find at a good price. I'd like to, yeah. have, I'd like to get I something. Yeah, what I did with my 35 is I, uh, I, did, uh, I did a 30 spline conversion um, with some superior axles oh yeah and and then i did the uh superior axle, superior axle truss kit 
on top of that. Oh, good. Um, and then the 456 gears and then the Yukon beer airlocker. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this, and, oh, and the C-clip eliminator. I, you know, get, get rid of that guy. Too. Oh, that's so, great. In essence, I mean, it, it is a 44, but the, the, the cost, I would say, is probably about the same, you know? So well, which way you go is completely up to you. Well, that's good. Even if you break it, the uh, the wheel's not going to walk out now. That's true. Yeah, that that was the biggest thing. You know, I didn't <laughs> I didn't want that guy to go flying. Yeah, I uh, I recently uh, I recently picked up a um, an ARB air locker that has uh, never been used, so it's virtually brand new. Even though it's like it was like manufactured in two thousand four, I think I picked one up on eBay. Nobody bit bid on it. It's for a Chrysler eight point two five rear end. Nobody bid on it. the The opening bid was four hundred and ninety nine dollars, and there was only one bid, and that was mine. So, oh, wow. yeah, I was very happy about that. So, uh, I figure it's never going to happen again. But I've been watching for a uh, ARB air locker for a, a Dana thirty, and specifically a thirty spline, because I want to do the same thing uh, or a similar thing that what you did with your thirty five. I want to do with my thirty because. I know that the 30 uh, will break pretty easy if you're not careful, especially if you lock it. So uh, I think with uh, the right axles and uh, the um, the right locker, then I can uh, break something further down the line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to find that weak spot somewhere else in the drive line. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I ended up doing, this, uh, doing the same thing in the front and rear. I did the 30 plan conversion in, on my uh, front end and... Uh, with the 456 gears in it. And then I ended up, uh, last week, actually, I just threw on a Body Armor 4x4 uh, disc cover. So hopefully that will absorb some of the impacts because it always seems with my TJ that that front diff is what nails first. I mean, regardless if I try to, however I try to maneuver around a rock, it seems that that front diff, it just always hits something. So I needed to reinforce that guy a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, sorry about that. Mine's on the on the road more than anything else, and uh, but I was kind of concerned about uh, the same thing with the the Dana Thirty. I only have a four and a half inch lift and thirty three t- inch tires on mine, so it's still pretty close to the ground. Uh, and I was looking at the the rough stuff covers, and my God, that thing is just like something you would want on a tank. And it, I've I've got that on there, and uh, it's. Uh, I dare anything. The way I put it on on, uh, on XJ Talk was, I'm ready to run over the zombies now. There's not going to be any <laughs> any craniums uh, stopping me because I'll I'll just go right through them. Hey, you know you the cattle guard as well. <laughs> yeah, spikes on it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the cow catcher, like they have on on the old trains. But uh, exactly. you know, you, you know, you mentioned something earlier um, that I wanted to to come back on. Uh, you said that you were getting a lot of questions about. Um, parts uh, the the bushwhacker parts for xj's now the xj has been out of out of production for 12 13 years does bushwhackers foresee a long-term commitment to the to the cherokees it sounds like they it sounds like they do yeah yeah i would say that they do um like i said the, the guy that has had two or three xj's um he is a firm proponent of the, the, the application or the model. Um, the owner of the company was um, just picked up an XJ as well, actually. Um, I think I posted a picture of it on our Instagram account, which can be seen from our Facebook page. Um, it's, a, it's a bright yellow uh, XJ with cutouts on it. And so the owner of the company even has uh, a, a one. 
And oh, so, wow. um, on top of that, we just released uh, new cutouts for the the WJ, and uh, I think I can foresee us doing applications for the WK, WK2, and onward and onward until you know they convert over to the what is it? They're they're discontinuing the Grand Cherokee and going over to the Grand Wagoneer in 2014 or something like that. So oh, I had not heard. Um, I had not heard about that. I, although I don't really follow the grand stuff. That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, there there is no talk of discontinuing any support for the Cherokee. Um, if anything, after the exposure that we saw at the Off Road Expo, um, it would be increasing, you know, exposure for the Cherokee and uh, looking at it again. So um, I can't say that we have anything on the books because I. There isn't anything on the books quite yet, but there's always talk. And so um, the, the XJ is there to stay, and we, we will support it for a long time. Well, I mean, if, if the owner has one, that's, a, I think, a very good omen. Now, you yeah. know, so, since you mentioned that, I was going to ask. Now, when, uh, I went ahead and got the, the five-piece armor kit, the Bushwhacker armor kit for the TJ. I thought it would look nice, and also, too, it would uh, take care of any little dings and stuff that, that might happen. And uh, I really like it. And I was wondering uh, why they don't have anything like that for the XJ, specifically for the rear quarter panels. And uh, I don't know. Uh, you said there's nothing on the books. Have you heard any discussions about perhaps uh, some body armor for the XJ? Well, that's funny you ask because uh, I, I have heard discussions because I started them last week or two weeks ago. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so... You could say, you could say Jesus for that one, but I was like, after I got back to the Hot Expo, I was like, guys, we we need to be looking at the XJ all over again. I mean, this thing is the hot model right now, uh, at least with uh, the enthusiasts who like to mod their vehicles. So um, why aren't we looking at, you know, a trail armor application for the XJ? Um, so I've, I've started that conversation. Whether it goes anywhere, we'll see. But um, trust me that I, I, I've been pushing for it. Well, I don't know if you had suggested this or not, but I, I know I mentioned to you before we hit the record button that I had dented my rocker uh, on, a, on that tree stump that, that cracked the bushwhacker flare. And what, yeah. I, what I did was I, I bought something to uh, one of those little stud welders that I could use to, to pull out that, that really deep dent in the rocker. I didn't want to cut it out and try to get it welded, uh, a new one welded in there because I had this idea that I would go ahead and put some armor over it. And I didn't want to put anything that was uh, heavy, like heavy steel. So I went with uh, my, my front bumper, my custom front bumper and custom rear bumper are, are both diamond plate. So my idea was I wanted to put some diamond plate there on the, the sides, the rocker, and just up to the door where the body molding is. So I purchased some, uh, some uh, polished aluminum diamond plate and um, you know scuffed it up and painted it with uh, some uh, bumper uh, liner material. And I had to measure and cut and bend and so on and so forth to cover that lower area. And and the main reason I did that was I wanted to cover up that, that dented rocker because now the, the armor was going to, uh, I mean the it's aluminum, but it's going to cover that and it's going to look better overall and it will pr- provide some protection. And I could always, if I, if uh, I dent the aluminum, I can always replace it easier than I can replace the, uh, the rocker panel. Uh, I also got a set of nice sliders, so I'm I'm not going to make that same mistake again uh, with a tree stump. It's going to be on the on the sliders this time, and not the not the bottom of the jeep. But anyway, 
I'm thinking uh, that uh, that would probably be a really cool uh, modification for the XJ is a set of Bushwhacker rocker panel and, uh, you know, Warrior has a product that's metal uh, that, yeah. they, that they sell. But the problem is, and the reason why I didn't go with those is, it would be a waste because I would have to cut and trim them because I have the Bushwhacker cutout flares. Now, if you guys made a set of those that worked with the Bushwhacker cutout flares, man, that would be a real easy sell, I think, because instead of having to go through all that stuff of making it, you just put them on there. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. And, you know, I, I take feedback every day. I'm probably, uh, maybe aside from the ladies who are on the phone day in and day out, I, um, I'm getting feedback from people like you or people on Twitter or people on Facebook um, throwing me their suggestions, and I'm totally open to everything. And I, I try to um, take that all in and decide, you know, well, there more people are requesting this. So, if, you know, it helps to have more people requesting the same exact thing. You know, I what I do is I go in and I will copy that URL of that request on my page or some sort of hard evidence that I can uh, show people, and I will put it in a spreadsheet or um, some sort of other format and. I will be like, hey, you know, look at this. Everybody in this area right here is requesting this product or this style or something like that. So the more people I get requesting, the the, the more ammo I have. You know, I I I feel like I'm on your guys' side here, where it's like, hey, if you guys want it, you know, if you really do want it, I I need your help to promote that, you know, and and, and push it um, up the chain of command, so to speak. So I feel like I'm kind of the liaison between. Um, the user and the company, and uh, it's my job to show them this is true. So the more I have, uh, the better I can do my job. Yep, and I'm sure it has a lot to do with uh, the cost associated with uh, you know coming up with a product, and because uh, I know it's not cheap to do that. So there, there pretty much needs to be a market before they invest the uh, the time and effort into it. Which actually, yeah. this brings me to a, a good segue into how people can contact you and, and you know, just about Bushwhacker stuff and also, too, letting you know uh, the ideas like the one I just shared with you. Yeah, if you, uh, I mean, personally, I run the Facebook and the Twitter and the Instagram and the Pinterest and the blog. You know, I'm, I'm basically all of those voices and so uh, if you're on any of those channels, um, reach out to Bushwhacker and you'll, you'll be talking to me. Uh, so at Bushwhacker Inc. is the tag that I use for all of those uh, social media outlets or websites. And uh, if, you, if you're on them, uh, say hi. And post a picture of your Jeep, even if you don't have Bushwhacker products. I love seeing um, XJs in action. It's, it's great. Uh, I can't argue with... Uh, that job of just looking at all these great vehicles day in day out. Oh yeah, that's that's got to be great. And also too, uh, you don't have to try to switch switch the screen when your boss walks up because you're supposed to be on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Some of my coworkers kind of heckle me for it, but you know, it's, it's the job and it's what I do. So. Hey, too bad they could have. Uh, they were already there. They could have applied for it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you know, they can hate, but I, I like my job. So uh, on Facebook, would it be uh, facebook.com slash uh, Bushwhacker Inc.? Yes, that's correct. And same with uh, Twitter and uh, Pinterest as well. And I believe the Google Plus page might just be forward slash Bushwhacker, um, but uh, that might be the odd man out. Okay. 
And of course, uh, if, if I'm reading it correctly, it looks like you do a lot of the blogs, if not all the blogs, on uh, blog.bushwhacker.com as well. That's correct. I, I write all the articles, um, and I, yeah, I do. Okay, guys. So that's the way you can, uh, you can reach Ben. And Ben, uh, didn't you signed up on XJ Talk as a member too, didn't you? I did. I did. I'm not very active on that, but I do get your um, emails. Are they weekly or semi-weekly? Um, emails um, that, that notify me of what's what's trending, and I'll go on there and I'll look and I'll kind of scan. But I'm one of those uh, uh, guys that kind of just reads and doesn't post too much. No, no problem. I mean, being the uh, social media manager, I imagine you're you're very thin uh, <laughs> on the on the internet. So we appreciate you taking time to come over to the site and sign up. It's great. We love uh, love having that support. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate you guys coming over to me and talking to me on a daily basis. So it's, it's good to good to have that interaction. I appreciate it. Well, Ben, I know from our prior conversation before we started this, uh, you're very tired from all the problems that you've had with the trailer. And you know, when you were telling me about those issues, I didn't realize the the Ford F F two fifty was your your vehicle. I thought, oh, that's something that Bushwhacker gave them or they rented or whatever. So you had to you had to leave a, a vehicle behind. That would have driven me nuts. But I guess you got to do what you got to do. You know, when when jeeping calls, you got to do it. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, it's one of those necessary evils. I know it's in safe hands in Provo, um, but I Moab was on the mind, and I I, I couldn't I couldn't uh, turn back. You know, I had gone too far. I had I had fought through so many struggles to stop right in Salt Lake City. There was no way I was going to stop there, and so I had to make it. And yeah, the F two fifty was mine, and. It, this trip down here, I, I kind of had to uh, beg my boss to let me to go, but um, and he's like, okay, you know, make it worth a while, and so on. I'm down here now. Um, and uh, I got the Jeep, and it's running great, and that's all that matters. You know, regardless if it's the F-250 is uh, busted up now or not, it's the Jeep that matters. Well, it'll get fixed. It'll be okay. I just hate leaving my vehicles behind anywhere where I can't keep an eye on them. But, uh, yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm just that way. So, especially the Jeep. Maybe not the Ford F-250 so much, but the, the Jeep would just drive me nuts with all the time and effort I put into it. Well, Ben, oh, I no, want to... I wouldn't leave the Jeep. Needless <laughs> <laughs> to say, I, I would probably with that guy. But the, the F-250, I mean, that's my, that's my tool, what I use. Yeah. Well, Ben, I want to thank you very much, especially uh, with all the stuff you've been through, uh, just getting to where you are, where you could talk to us on the phone and uh, being up for so long and no, no rest. Good luck at Moab, and uh, I hope everything holds together and uh, you don't break anything. That would be that would be my, my major concern. But it, it makes sense now since I, I know that you actually have, you had, rather, a tow rig. I don't have that. I gotta, <laughs> Mine's a daily driver. If it breaks, you know, we're, we're one vehicle short. So maybe maybe well, someday. I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. I uh, I was my TJ was a daily driver. It still is a daily driver, but uh, I bought that F two fifty a week ago, maybe at tops. So oh. I bought it specifically to come down here to Moab. I was like, well, I'm not gonna, if my boss is letting me go. I'm not gonna uh, take. I well, I I get the Moab drive once, and I told myself after that, after driving down for the Eastern Jeep Safari wheeling a whole week in Moab and then driving all the way back to Oregon. I was like, I'm never going to do that again. So I went out and <laughs> I bought the diesel and, uh, it made it all the way down to Salt Lake and it just couldn't, couldn't go that last, uh, last yard. So, um, the Jeep made it the rest of the way. 
Well, that I makes will be waiting for me on the way back. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense now. There was just an issue with it, and uh, the long trip uh, exposed the issue. So, well, I'm sure the next time uh, when you go, it will be fine because you'll uh, have all the kinks out of it. Still, that's exactly. uh, it's always great to have a truck. I'd love to have one. I just, I just, ha- I would have a Jeep form. Actually, we have a, a '99 uh, uh, Cherokee, the '98 that we bought new. That's the one I drive, and now the 2003 TJ. So. All the vehicles we have are Jeeps, and, and that's another reason why the neighbors think we're nuts. You need one of those old-school, like, Jeep J10s that are, like, a propane-run, like, aircraft. Um, uh, you'd have to look them up, but they're, like, military um, uh, aircraft plane haulers or whatever. Uh, they had uh, transported planes from A to B. Uh, that could be your hauler, and you could keep it all Jeep. You know, board. You know, that sounds good. Uh, the, the thing I'm trying not to do, because I have it on my, uh, I've got a little uh, application on my, uh, my Android, I keep looking for Jeep Comanches. I'd like, I'd like, to, <laughs> I'd like to have a Comanche. <laughs> yeah, my buddy, uh, well, the guy that we work with, the XJ guy, he has a Comanche as well. And it is probably the most pristine looking, I mean, this guy has pristine everything, but it is pristine Comanche. Um, is cherry red, so it's not green, unfortunately. But no, no, that's uh, that's fortunately. Oh, fortunately, fortunately, oh, okay. it's not well, green. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he has all these uh, the wide variety of jeeps. And the Comanche is definitely one of the um, most unique builds that I've seen. But I love it. I love it. It's a great looking rig. Yeah. Well, you know, and uh, that's great. I really enjoy hearing that the owner of Bushwhacker has a Cherokee. That's really cool to know. Um, yeah. ma- maybe we can get some uh, get some pictures, and uh, maybe you can uh, put a bug in his ear about XJ Talk. You know, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Uh, you know, I don't get to talk to him day in and day out, but next time I next time I see him, I'll ask him how he likes the uh, XJ, and I uh, get back to you on time. <laughs> Great. Well, Ben, I'm gonna let you uh, relax, uh, watch the game, and or pay cl- full attention to the game, and uh, hopefully get some good rest. And thank you very much for coming on as a uh, uh, an individual and also too as a representative of Bushwhacker, which uh, I really like, and I think make uh, they make really great products. So it was uh, a very a privilege to have uh, a, a representative from Bushwhacker on. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you, and I also enjoy. Um, being involved with the community as much as possible. So thank you. Yeah, sounds like a perfect job for you. Thanks again. Yeah, that's good. Well, thanks a lot for joining us, and uh, I appreciate you uh, you coming here every week. And again, if uh, as I said earlier, if you're a new listener, um, that's great. And, you know, we'd like to hear from you. We'd like to hear what how you found XJ, uh, the XJ Talk Show and uh, what you think about it. You can uh, call and leave a comment at our 24 by 7 voicemail line. That's 530-675-4102 or post it up on xjtalk.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook, uh, Facebook XJ Talk uh, and Twitter, uh, Twitter XJ Talk, Twitter slash XJ Talk. So um, please let us know what you think about the show and uh, recommend this to a friend and something I forget to tell every week. If you are listening on iTunes, take the time to give us a five-star rating and uh, put in a nice comment. Um, we'd really appreciate it. And it would allow more people to listen to the show. And after all, 
if I'm going to take the time and Josh is going to take the time and Steve is going to take the time and everybody else that contributes to the show, if they're going to take the time to do it, we would at least like to have people listening and enjoying it. And if you're not enjoying it, tell us why. We can make a change. So tune in next week and, um, well, let's just say I think it's going to be a uh, another uh, parts provider for Jeep Cherokees. Haven't done the, uh, the interview yet, but it's scheduled. So... Um, I feel pretty confident it's going to be there, but not confident enough to uh, to announce it. <laughs> Keep checking uh, the uh, the website. Oh, that's right. We also have a uh, a new way to get to the podcast. You can just go to xjtalkshow.com. Uh, no spaces. It's like all one word. You know how the, the web works. xjtalkshow.com, and that will take you straight to the podcast. So check xjtalkshow.com. And uh, keep checking that, and you'll see who our guest is going to be for next week's show. So everybody have a, uh, a good day, a good week, and we'll uh, catch you in about seven days. I just wanted to tell you about xjtalk.com. It's a great site. There's no bashing. Everybody's nice and friendly. Great place to be.